everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Well, everyone, welcome again to the Sheep Things Podcast. You're listening to episode 25, and again, we have a great guest with us today. Dr. Jim Morgan is joining us again to talk a little bit about meat and marketing. Um, so join us as we continue this conversation with him and talk a little bit about selecting um, sheep for a, a meat system, how to direct market, and some, some thoughts on that, and some pointers from somebody who really has done some amazing things with direct marketing, starting out in a a small southern college town and building a pretty successful uh, direct marketing lamb business. So stay tuned and enjoy today's podcast. Yeah. So Jim, uh, uh, you started out direct marketing lamb. So how did you get into that? And uh, kind of tell us a little bit about that history. Well, that you know, I've never I've never sold a, a sheep at a sale barn. Everything. Uh, all the sold animals have either, either gone as breeding stock or as meat. And so in 1999, the Fayetteville Farmer's Market uh, didn't, didn't allow any processed products. They had a permit, so they were on a city street in the, the city square around an historic post office is where the farmer's market has always been. And then it's, it's a large market with 100 vendors. Uh, today it wasn't that back in the 90s but they only allowed fruit and honey and uh, and vegetables you know and crafts and, um, and there was a goat dairy that started out the one so she she got the city rules changed so that you could sell processed products and I was the first meat mender uh, and became known as the lamb man of Fayetteville uh, over over time and and started out you know learning you know the a crash course and and um and getting lamb processed and and sold at the farmer's market and it was it was a little it was definitely a learning experience because the the family usda inspected facility uh you know i would get lamb t-bones uh, lamb chuck roast lamb chuck steaks <laughs> uh, you know, and so finally I said, well, I, I really rather have loin chops and blade, blade chops and so forth. So they, I said, well, could I come down to the processing plant and, uh, and, and I'll help. And so all, all but about four lambs in 20 years, I've always been in the plant when they've cut the lamb. Wow. Um, you know, incredible learning experience, you know, yeah. you know, you know, I get, so I'd usually be between the, the saw person and the people uh, packaging the lamb and the packages. And I go, what's this, you know, and they say, oh, it's a leg steak, you know, and, you know, and so pretty soon I was able to identify a, 
you know, you know, all the cuts. And even, even now, you know, it's to the point now that the new, the new people that have changed over, it's changed management. You know, I'm one, okay. Yeah. I have to tell them what the cut is, <laughs> uh, you know, so, but that was a good experience. And it also, you saw what it was, you know, I could talk sometimes I could even talk about individual packages you'd have, you know, three or 400 packages that I'd take back to our freezers. And then I'd be at the farmer's market and somebody said, they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, use this package of loin chops and not that one, or this shoulder roast is cut a little better, you know? So you know, that yeah. ability, you know, and it, or you're cutting a 120 pound lamb and all of a sudden you're getting, you know, 30% more leg steaks then you did from the one you did a whole leg of lamb and say, okay, so the next one you, you do. So I, on the fly, I even change cutting directions and say, yeah. I, want, I want more legs. I want more shoulders. So it's, it's doing the, and so I started learning, you know, I started out real simple and didn't sell any, hardly anything. And then I, you know, over, over time I've in, increased, you know, in, in, increased a lot of my sales at the farmer's market. And then about 2000, it's around 2002. I know, you know, the, the organization that Teresa worked for, one of their staff people started a got a grant from Southern Sustainable Ag Research and Education to promote local food. Uh, and so we had four restaurants do local dinners. And since I had the only USDA inspected product around, there was lamb at most of those dinners. Uh, and so I developed a few relationships with restaurants that yeah. for the most part, you know, you know, there's definitely some experiences with restaurants. I was selling at the health food store. Um, you know, at one point I was buying, you know, I had a couple people who didn't want to direct market and weren't close to Fayetteville and I was buying upwards of 50 to 60 grass fed lambs a year uh, that hmm. I was, able to split between my sales to restaurants to the health food store and and then use most of my own product for the farmer's market but it you know and so you could sell you know at the health food store at that point was doing a 70 percent markup and so i mean you'd sell them a ten dollar chop and it was 17 dollars in 2001 uh you know that you know that was yeah. pretty expensive and so I would move the shoulder shoulder cuts and the ground to the health food store and then work mm. on the restaurants to take the, the loin chops in, in those. And for the most, you know, and the other thing to learn about restaurants is that, you know, you, you, it's, you know, it's always, a, it seems like a great idea and it's definitely a great promotion, you know, and I'd have that at my farmer's market tables, uh, selling at these high end restaurants in Fayetteville or, you yeah. know, uh, Theo's uh, greenhouse grill, but they they only want one cut. So you have to have. So you need to have a diversified market to be able to make 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 it work at restaurants. You know, and I finally found one restaurant that would do Round Mountain Farm plate of the day, and they'd buy three whole lambs at a time and put them in the freezer, and then then each week they would do a different cut you know, as plate of the day. And, and that way I didn't have to worry about inventory. I'd just sell them a whole lamb. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the best. And the other thing, you know, and, the other bit of advice to selling the restaurants is, is to 
work on them to have specials and so that when and work with the chefs so that let's say you have a lot of blade chops or shoulder uh you 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 work with the chef to say let's figure out how to cook this to fit in your your in your menu you know and have specials or if i have oh. leftovers so it you know that's one of the best ways you know working with restaurants so i have a question about that so it's something that um a lot of my friends uh, bring up occasionally is you mentioned having a having a restaurant do a special so let's say you got somebody wanting to do i don't know lamb sliders or whatever uh, and you're a small flock you know let's our, let's just face it our membership uh, majority of our flocks are 25 you know to 40 years probably so if a restaurant in a decent sized town runs a special on let's just say lamb chops you know then uh, you know once or twice a year takes takes a majority of your of your lamb well what if this restaurant has a real demand for that and they've never really had lamb before now they've now you've created a market that you can't supply so now they find old caleb over here who has you know 500 ewes it don't matter what brand they are what breed they are you know um in their eyes and uh hey you've created the market and they left you for Caleb because you couldn't handle it. Well, I, so I always worked directly with the chef. I developed relationships with the chef. And then they would put on the menu around Mountain Farm and they'd often, so often they invite me to the meal when they ran the specials to uh, say, here's the, you know, that contact with the person raising. Uh, so that that's happened several times. So I worked with those size restaurants. We've never, I, I never went to any of the chains and, and also most of the restaurants in Fayetteville and that, you know, for me to, you know, currently I'm selling lamb chops at 15 to $17 a pound. Uh, that means the entree needs to be $50 or $70. So they, they only do my specials on rare, you know, if you really sell, unless you can produce lamb at and sell you know, chops at, you know, eight to $10 a pound, most restaurants in moderate sized towns can't, can't handle that. So I mean, you, yeah. said, you, said, you have to work to develop, develop the relationships and find chefs who want to do local and want to work with that. But, but if you have a restaurant that wants, you know, wants to put it on the menu, then that's not what a small farm is, you know, also yeah. I had to explain to them that, my chops aren't going to weigh 0.4 pounds every one. You know, some of the chefs were used to ordering a steak with a set weight. You know, and and I said, well, this is a, this is a way to teach teach the public and chefs that not all sheep and not all steers are the same size. You know, I mean, it's diversity is is part of that making that connection with the farmer. Yeah. So. What is the market in Fayetteville like? Um, since it seems like you've had a good chance to develop a market, um, you know, I, I hear from people all the time. Well, I don't, you know, I don't have a market here, and and I'm guessing that that you know Fayetteville isn't isn't the uh, you know Seattle of the world or the, the Los Angeles of the world as far as population base goes. What's the population like, and is it one that's you know kind of more of a 
like a, a college town or is it a, like a resort town? What, what is it's, kind of, what's the atmosphere? It's, it's, it's a college town. And, you know, over time, uh, you know, you know, my early customers would have been college professors that came from other parts of the country, you know, because okay. south, south, you know, until the Katahdin got, got here, the south didn't really have any lamb. People weren't used to having lamb around, you know. Yeah. One of the things that Katahdins have done is put sheep back in the south, but, and the sheep were wiped out in the Civil War, you know, because everybody ate everything, had to eat everything, mm. you know, so there hasn't been, and so, so it was the, the people from other parts of the country that ate lamb. And then probably the late 2000s, I started getting the 22 to 25 year olds, the 28 year olds that were more interested, you know, and some people know that, you know, that, you know, my dad would not eat lamb, uh, you know, and Teresa's dad would not eat lamb uh, because they, in World War II, Mm -hmm. Every third night, they had canned Australian merino. Um, uh, uh, from, you know, four to, you know, six-year-old call ewes that were canned. Yeah. Uh, um, you know. That sounds and, really good. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, so I never, I never did it to my dad, but uh, Teresa's mom and, uh, and Teresa – would have me fix lamb for for her dad and we wouldn't tell him and he'd say oh this is really good meat <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then and then he we tell him it was lamb and he'd just shake his head you know after he enjoyed <laughs> it you know and the, and um but we never but if you asked him you know two years like a year later or two years later he said you want some lamb no he says i don't eat lamb you know and then we we, we, we he ended up eating it again, you know, and not knowing it. Well. You know, I did my kids that way, and uh, they got to where they wouldn't eat meat. <laughs> and uh, you know, and and they would they would brag about, oh man, this is really good. And then you know, dumb me would make some crazy sheep comment, you know, or bye or something, you know, <laughs> at the end of the meal, and, they, and they'd just freak out. So. Uh, they they got to where they they wouldn't necessarily eat something if they remotely thought it had had lamb in it, and until recently, you know, uh, my daughter's moved off and got married, but now she's kind of like, you know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, I'm like, you loved it ten years ago. <laughs> you just didn't yeah. know it. <laughs> and that's one thing that I've I've you know I think Robert you and I have talked about in the podcast before, and and I've talked with other people about is it. just that people will go to the, you know, they'll, they'll go to the store and, and buy a cut of beef or whatever. They'll buy some chicken and, and cook it up at home and they cook it wrong and, and they still keep buying beef. But if they do that with lamb, they just, they refuse to eat lamb again. And so I don't know what the hurdle is other than a, well, a cultural like hurdle. My, like my daughter, they, uh, I live on a river and we have a feral hog uh, population in the last 10 years. Oh. And and her husband trapped and, and killed a wild boar. This thing had more ticks on it than you could stick on Lassie. And uh, and they, of course, dressed it out and cooked it and bragged about how great it was. And I'm like, y'all won't eat a, a lamb that has been, that's had the greatest life on earth, but you'll eat this tick-infested pig <laughs> that you know nothing about, you know? So that kind of, 
that kind of got her over the hump a little bit and I kind of shamed her into it, you know, but <laughs> I mean, really people, people eat deer and wild boar yeah. like it's some kind and, you know, armadillos and all this weird stuff, like it's some kind of delicacy and you know, darn well, it ain't cooked right. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, you know, for some yeah. reason, lamb and goat, man, I mean, they, they think a, they're eating the scum of the earth, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. Some of the, you know, wild game out here. I mean, if you were to put it side by side with lamb, I mean, you're not going to, you know, no it, way. a flavor no difference. Way. You're not necessarily going to say one's stronger than another. Um, the lamb may actually be more mild, um, especially if you've been given it a good diet or whatever. So yeah, I don't know how we, how we get over that, but, uh, Jim, how have you gotten over that with your customers? Tried to talk them into, I know you've told the story before about, uh, customers with mutton. Um, how, how well, did you, yeah. You know, so, you know, you know, I had to experiment along the way, you know, I started, so I had use, you know, that had mastitis, or, or, you know, or reached mm-hmm. the end of it. And so we started butchering them and, and thought we had to do sausage. Um, uh, but, um, uh, we, didn't have to you know that a lot of my gourmet customers only want meat from two two to five year old use they hmm. prefer they prefer the mutton you know because it it's a little richer um you know the you know it's a little richer and so they they, they enjoy it so a lot and i usually sell it for, i sell it for less and 150 150 pound lamb is cheaper per pound for the processing is the same price whether you do a hundred pound lamb or 150 pound you yeah. so it so it works out well i have i have developed a uh, a mutton merguez m-e-r-g-u-e-z sausage mm-hmm. uh that a lot of people rave you know you know and 100 pounds of meat it has eight cups of paprika four quarts of pomegranate juice you know two and a half pounds of ginger two a fresh ginger, two and a half pounds of garlic. And so it, it has a great flavor and you can do all sorts yeah. of, so we have done some things with that, but uh, we've had fairly good luck with that. You know, you know, if I have the right customer that comes up, you know, speaking back to how I sell, you know, you know, you know, that I know I can kid with. And I said, well, why don't you try some of this red meat with flavor? You'll find that beef is boring after you've had lamb. Or, or they ask, well, how's how's lamb liver? And, and I go, it's the Lexus of livers. Everybody says lamb is the best liver ever, you know. And it and lamb liver is a little less intense than than our classic remembers of a uh, liver and onions. Uh, that a lot, a lot of. A lot, a lot of us yeah. don't recall the <laughs> making the same face yeah, you are. Yeah, some, <laughs> some, some, some people do really like it. Some people do really like it. You know, it's. They say, I say, well, it's still, it's still liver. It's just it's milder. Yeah. So lamb, lamb liver is milder than uh, hey, a dog's got to eat something's all I can say. <laughs> but I, and occasionally the weightlifters. Um, yeah, I had a, a customer at the farmer's market that came through and bought bought liver to, he was going to blend it and eat it raw. And I was like, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could eat it with cook. his eggs, you know. Yeah. Raw <laughs> eggs, raw liver. The, Tough. A lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the Mideastern customers, this is a university town, um, mm, yeah. will, buy the, will buy the liver. Um, mm. 
So I think the biggest point is, is um, with most shepherds is they don't cook a lot of lamb themselves. Yep. And so they're not confident in it. They don't, they don't uh, know how to prepare enough options to really love it, enjoy it and talk about it. So it's hard to sell something that you don't like, you know, um, you're not convincing, you know, I could convince somebody to like ice cream. Let me tell you, uh, and, and lamb, you know, those are the two things I could talk you into liking or try at least trying, you know, uh, those are, and, and brisket. I like brisket. So we, we've, you know, we've developed about 60 recipes over time. Uh, and I sometime, you know, maybe next year I'll, I'll try to get those in a format that's friendly to the internet. Um, but, we have about 60 recipes there's out of those 60 every one of them about two or three you know you look forward to eating you go we should try that you know you know do that again there's uh there's there's two or three that are in there because they take 15 minutes uh and everybody does the ones with liver (laughs) we 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 have we have an eight minute liver recipe that uh Dijon mustard, red wine, summer savory, a little garlic, you know, you make a, red, a little red sauce with it, you know, that's a, it's a French country recipe. Yeah. You know, so you Cook know. it up in a patty and feed it to your dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the, for, those, for those members who live near larger cities, you know, are those sheep breeders live near yeah. larger cities? I mean, it, you can probably sell lamb liver for eight to ten dollars a pound to wow to the dog community. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, fifteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, so uh, I you know, you know, because I was talking to Deborah Blake, who's been a longtime member out, who lives outside Portland, and she says, yeah. And she says, well, we can't afford to eat lamb. And I said, well, eat the, you know, the bones that are left. So most, you know, half our stews that we make um, come from lamb bones, you know, the leftover bones, you know, that, you know, as we debone shoulders and so forth, we save the shoulders and, and leg parts of legs and, and, and the different cuts, you know, so we, we make a lot of stews. I said, well, just, I, I can sell, lamb bones for two dollars a pound and and you can make a great stew you know has plenty of tons of flavor and the bones to really improve the stock and she says in portland oregon you can't afford to use your bones because in 2005 she could sell all her lamb bones for five dollars a pound which is basically i end up throwing away bones because i i can't sell them all um you know yeah even even if I eat stew every week, but I do find people that buy the bones, and and I could probably, I could probably if I you know with more time I could probably promote more of it. But again, yeah, I, I hear that a lot. Is uh, we can't afford to eat our own meat. Well, if you can't afford to eat your own meat that you grow, how do you afford to buy it? I mean, um, shouldn't that be your lowest cost protein? Something you grow yourself? Yeah. Uh, Chicken's chicken's pretty cheap, man. That that's a notch above liver in my view. <laughs> I mean, we eat it. 
my wife gets it all the time and I'm like, chicken, that was your only choice, you know? No, I know. She likes chicken, but man, I it, I eat it because it's there. Well, lamb, lamb because of the fact that there's basically, the, you know, it's a little simplified, but basically there's the same number of saw cuts on a lamb as there a pig, as for a pig or for a steer. Yes, mm -hmm. they're the same shape. Yeah. And the same number of cuts. So it, but you, so there's a lot more labor involved in taking a lamb carcass to product. And so automatically you're 25% higher than, um, than, than, than buying that. And, and also we, you know, unless you take advantage of, you know, the, you know, the way the USDA farm program is the, you know, if you're doing grass fed lamb, you're probably, it takes more land area. You've got more capital involved in your operation than buying some of the byproduct corn and soy byproducts, which are cheaper than cheap, definitely a lot cheaper than than buying land. Uh, unless you can turn around and sell your land for houses after you after you retire. But so others, it, but, no, I and mean, it's de that's definitely been one of our enjoyments of direct marketing is the developing a, a bunch of recipes and you know I've sold a lot of cuts, you know I said well why don't you try this and here's a recipe and I show them a recipe and then I said, you know I I know the um, and Teresa doesn't like the story but I'm going to tell it, you know that somebody else they come up by a rack of lamb and I go well do you want the recipe that saved my marriage twice in two days. And um, and and they go sure. Let's show it to them. And and so we so it was about two thousand two or three. You know, woke up on Christmas Eve morning to uh, twenty four inches of snow. And I, you know, whoa, which, you know, it's really rare in Arkansas. And I, and I and I don't have any structure set up for it because you figure well one day every two years I might have to deal with some snow or enough snow that it changes farming operation. Well, I spent all day locating the water tubs and the hay tubs that were under snow. Yeah. I come, I come in at five o'clock, you know, or, you know, and then I, you know, I'm getting hay to all the different paddocks where the sheep were at. I come in at five o'clock. She says, what are we going to do for Christmas Eve? And I go, I still have three more hours of work. You know, off the top of my head, I said, you know, I've been wanting to try this rack of lamb recipe. Here's the recipe. Here's the rack. You know, and I handed both of them to her and came in about nine o'clock. And this rack of lamb recipe was just stupendous. You know, and the next day, same sort of thing, trudging around through 20 inches of snow. But this time I was a little earlier. I got in at three and she said, well, we have, we didn't have Christmas Eve other than, and and she loved the rack of lamb, it worked well, and, you know, and, the, and, uh, and then I said, well, I've got a second rack. So we had the rack two nights in a row, and it was a hit, and she forgave me, and, uh, and, uh, and, and so I've used that to sell lamb a couple times. Um, but it's a Dijon mustard-based, yeah. you know, that's cooked a little on the stovetop, and then in a Dutch oven, in the oven, you know, it's just, you know, it's the best rack of lamb I've ever had. It's still a little. Well, I, I'm fixing to do one today. Uh, 
I bought a rotisserie attachment for my big green egg, and uh, I'm fixing to stab one on it after we get through talking. It's going on, so yeah, so it's you know, so it's been fun getting those recipes, and you have the stories relate. So, or definitely, I'm both with the chefs, you know, you know, with the chefs that I've worked with, the uh, customers I've worked with, you know, where I've ended up with, you know, and what I really enjoy is the the one-on-one -on -one interaction with the customers and the, and yeah. the chefs. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something I miss about not doing the farmer's market anymore. And, and one of the reasons I've thought about going back is just that interaction with the customers and getting that feedback. Um, I miss, you know, hearing from my customers of, oh, you know, this, this meat was a little bit stronger or, oh, this was really mild or this it was a little more lean. And, and then tracking down that, that number on that package that I sent them and figuring out which lamb it was and what I did differently. Um, did you notice that with when you said you're there with the processing have you have you changed any of your your management practices by watching lambs come through there um, as far as when you take them in or how you finish them has that impacted your operation at all doing that the um no and i you know i don't you know i don't notice too much difference I and mean, part of the only time i've really had a difference is when uh you know the processor hung them an extra four hours at 90 degrees uh, oh. it was a little, those are a little stronger flavored lambs over, over time. We've, you know, you know, I only have about a fourth of, you know, as Fayetteville has developed, uh, I, I, I only have about a fourth of the, uh, land, uh, graze as I used to. And, uh, and the one major pasture I've left can, can handle about one sheep per acre. Um, so it's pretty poor land and I don't own mm -hmm. it. So I haven't invested in, uh, improve, you know, in, in, in really doing the fertilizing or the possibly the no-till uh, needed to really improve that pasture to where I could run more sheep. So I, I've gone to using soy hulls, uh, really believe in and not that, that it's healthier for the sheep and it's healthier for the fat in the lamb if you use a fermentable fiber or a forage uh, it has less you know you get fewer omega-6s you know and I mm -hmm. you know I think that's important so I, I so I use soy hulls more than I used to uh, use a little bit more alfalfa hay than I used to when, when I used to be more forage but, but which has meant my lambs finish at 120 rather than at 100 and occasionally at 130 or 140 you know, yeah, you know, with you know, soil hulls allow that. And do you think you can get that with alfalfa too, or just, um, yeah, just alfalfa? Alfalfa is just a lot more expensive. Yeah, you know, uh, soy hulls. Soy hulls um, have the equivalent calories that corn do. It's just in a fermentable. It gets oh, gotcha. fermented in the rumen rather than digested in the stomach um, and it keeps the pH. So the pH of the rumen stays basic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of corn, you got to add sodium bicarbonate yeah. to keep the pH down so that you don't get ulcers in the rumen and all these bacteria leaking out into the, into the, into the, into the body cavity. So, 
and soils are just a lot a lot healthier and you basically can't they a sheep can go from eating none to eating us eating a, eating a full meal you know or if all, all all their in, nutritional intake could come from soils and it wouldn't kill them um, you know whereas corn you'd have to ramp them up slowly uh, so that they wouldn't get acidotic yeah or yeah robert's been trying to talk me into this soy hole deal and and uh <laughs> i don't well, know i i have my my customers um you know prefer to not have the the gmos and so i don't know how to get away it's from the word it's the word soy that bothers it is Caleb. yep it, it's well, if you called them something else whole then it wouldn't be a big deal well, there's, uh, there's you know there's the three different you know there's the westerfield diet which is no soy uh yeah. You know, there's the GMO, which is a problem. And there are a few sources for non-GMO soy hulls. Oh, there are. Uh, there, you know, I, I, I would need to change my storage operation so I could buy several ton at a time. Yeah. You know, you know, that sort of thing. There's actually some mushroom growers at the market that want me to go in on buying tons of it. Huh. Uh, you know, the, the, shiitake mushrooms and moisture mushrooms grow really well on soy hulls and they want to do yeah. a, they want to do a non-gmo um, and and for the for our listeners out there the the soy hole is is not coming from the the soybean right like can you explain like that difference to our listeners of of okay. why it's not like actually soy and, and caleb's customers need to be listening so <laughs> <laughs> uh, the so there's the pod that the soy hulls are in then there's uh -huh. the you know, the soy bean itself. And then there's a little, little skin layer, like sort of the red layer on a peanut. That That's what flakes off during the processing and that's the soy hull. And it's that that's ground into and then cooked into a pellet. So it's not the pod and it's not the bean. It's a, a little, little layer on the outside. Wow, that probably takes a lot of soybeans to get. A get lot. You know, so, so it, but it, and it's, so during droughts, it's the only feed during droughts when there's no hay and you have a certified grass fed operation, uh -huh. so, soy hulls are the only alternative feed that is allowed to retain your grass fed certification um, during it. So it, because of the similarity of fermenting soy hulls to fermenting grass. Would cottonseed holes be in the same, are they in the same boat on that? No, uh, I think that's actually, uh, and there's, and they've got, they've got to treat that, treat that before they feed it to animals because there's a toxin involved in, in that. And, and with soybeans as well, you need to cook just to make, because there will be a few soybeans and soybeans need to be cooked before ingested by animals. And so and hulls, I it starts with the G, and I'm not remembering the, the name of the gosposa or something like that. That's in in cotton seeds that you know needs to be treated. You know, I'm, I haven't looked into it, but it I don't think it's a fermentable. I don't think it's a fermentable product, but I because they know, they add a lot of that into dairy rations. Yeah, it it, it you know, and I think Len Farmers used used it in in some of his rations. As, as well 
you know, the, it, it's pretty standard. I'm pretty, sim I do it sim pretty simple. I feed soy hulls and if I need more protein, I add alfalfa. Um, and if I had ac easy access to GMO, I would be using GMO in both, you know, because cus customers like it, um, you know, you know that. And it's also, you know, you know, Roundup, they're starting to find, find more and more issues with Roundup in, in foods. So that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah that's been my big, big holdup on the, the soy hole pellets because I'm not necessarily opposed to, you know, this, the soy holes. I mean, in my opinion, it's kind of just like another plant, right? I mean, it's just a seed and it's a legume. And um, it's just the, the GMO factor that I've uh, been more concerned about. So, yeah, if there's... Well, it's, you know, it's, you know, if you... If you want standard lamb, you go to the grocery store, you know, you know, and again, this is one way that you can differentiate, you know, it's definitely a way to direct market It's one way you can, one way to differentiate your market, your lamb from the store. And you, and you know, so I think it's a, not, it's a, you don't rub it into the customer and you don't sound superior to say, these are our practices and this is why we're doing it. Uh, you don't say that other lamb is inferior, you know? And, and so when I, they asked me how my lamb is, uh, I say, I'll say many of, many of our customers, many of my customers say it's the best lamb they've ever had. Uh, I know, you know, being a scientist and a statistician, you know, I know I don't have the best lamb. It's impossible for that. I always have the best lamb, but I know I have good lamb. I have a good product. And I will say many of my customers say it's the best lamb they ever had. had. Mm -hmm. You know, I have somebody that buys, $500 a lamb every three months and they won't eat it in a restaurant because they always get upset because it's not, wow. it's, it's not Jim's lamb lamb. So I like my issue with chicken, <laughs> the store, <laughs> the chicken at the store has no flavor. The, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, and, and, and I see it with the Katahdin use the, there, there are specialty labels of in French chicken called La Belle Rouge or red label. And they don't allow any chicken to be butchered before 12 weeks of age because that's when the flavors start developing, you know. And, it, and it, if you're really into flavor, I mean, uh, I mean, the, you know, a, a three-year-old hen, you know, making a soup out of a three-year-old hen, hen is is a li almost a life-changing experience when it comes to chicken. It actually has flavor. Uh, so is the big green egg. The big green egg fixes lots of problems. You know, and so, and so the, you know, I actually prefer meat from a four-year-old you, you know, it's just, it's just richer. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I, I don't like, uh, I don't like lamb. I, I like, um, I like older lambs. I like, you know, 15, 16, 18 months old. Um, I turn them back out to pasture with my ewes. I band them and, um. Uh, and then I, I get to process when I'm ready, when I have the freezer space, uh, they get some more size to them for free. I don't have to feed them. Um, I can grass fed them. They can marble on their own. And, uh, and I think they taste great. Um, that, that's my process. I, you guys can have all the lamb you want. I want, I want an older lamb. The, uh, and I, I, direct market several 14 and 15 month old lamb, ram lamb, intact ram lambs. Mm -hmm. And, 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 
haven't had any flavor issues. Flavor's been fine. Um, the, the key thing is that you have to keep them growing, you know, yeah. you know, just, you know, one of the, you know, people always say, well, it's a lamb tender. Well, lamb's always tender because you're usually processing it at four to eight months of age, you know, and it doesn't have time to develop tough, you know, and with grass fed beef, you have to keep them growing every day. You know, if you go through a slump and pasture, uh, you get, end up with tough beef and you have a intact ram lamb or an intact ram that's 14 months old and you let them sit all winter when you didn't have any grass, then you try to, then you wait for the spring flush. I did that one time and I had to re refund some, some product uh, because the, the, the rib chops and loin chops were really tough on a 15 month old ram lamb that sat at 80 pounds from November to February and then grew to 140, you know, yeah. two months, you know, and, you know, that sort of thing. So that's the only, but we pretty much do all intact rams. Uh, but but what is it you say? We have dentists for that now, right? It's not. People come and say, well, what's the best cut of lamb? And I, you know, what's the best taste? And I said, get as far away from the loin as you can. And, uh, and, and, or they'll say, I want the tenderest cut. And, and I go, well, the flavor is where the, the lamb is the toughest, the shank, the shoulder, the neck, you know, parts of the leg, you know, that's where the ribs, you know, we all like smoked barbecued ribs from pork yes. or most of us, you know, those, those are the toughest ones. And they go, well, I want tender. And then I go, if I got the right person, I say, well, we have dentists. A hundred years ago, people had to have tender because their teeth, you know, we didn't have the teeth care. Now we have dentists, uh, eat the tougher cuts. They have the most flavor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, again, you have to pick the right customer. Whether you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't. I I only ban mine just for management on my place. I just ban the you know a handful that I think I will consume for myself, yeah. and I turn them back out with my use. That way, yeah. you know, I don't have to fool with them. Yeah. You know, it makes it yeah. easy for me. Yeah, it's you get about ten percent faster. <clears throat> you get ten percent better conversion. To two things happen with using intact ram lambs. One, you, you know, and, and it was very important back in 2000 when we had smaller Katahdins, you know, that you want is you get better conversion of foodstuffs to protein. So you're gonna get more growth, more meat, you know. And the other thing is that you can extend the, the growth curve. So all animals have, and I, you know, I probably can't show it on the screen, but all animals have sort of a plateauing effect, you know, the use and, weathers or castrated males have a plateauing effect where they reach a point where they start adding a lot more fat than meat and quit growing. Well, if you leave an intact male, a lamb that had been castrated that would have had the ideal amount of fat at 95 pounds, uh, would, you could grow to 110 or 115 uh, because you get that impact of the, of the steroids. Uh, the natural steroids. And uh, so that's the other reason for, but for management, yeah, a lot of people castrate for management reasons. And with the, and back in 99 and 2000 and 2001, when I was buying, buying, you know, grass fed lambs, um, if I had intact rams, 
that were 100 pounds, I knew I always had a ribeye and loin eye that I could sell. You know, a 90 pound Katahdin back in 99, 2000 did, you know, could get a, a, a loin eye or a ribeye with the size of your finger. So those were, you know, I think, so if you can't, for me and my system, you know, having them intact that and occasionally you find out the EBVs are excellent on that one you're ready to butcher you know you changed your mind on the EBVs and really like that one if they're intact you can do something about it yeah and that's one of the things that I've noticed too I don't know if, if you've seen this but I mean if, even from like from two months to four months I'll see differences in, in weight gain I mean I'll have some that grow really well the two months and then just kind of stop I mean they just don't really do well by four months and then and vice versa, some that don't do as well to two months. And obviously that has to do with milk and maternal weaning weight. But right. um, then from even from, from four months to six months or eight months or yearling weight, sometimes I see a difference. Some that, that just end up turning out looking ugly or not shedding out very well. And, and, and as much as I don't want to select and, you know, select ones that, that do that. I mean, I still watch the, the four month weight gain, because that's where the, the majority of my income is. I'm not trying to get big ones at a year, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I kind of see, yeah. I see some muscle expression and development. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see, yeah. You see a few lambs that do really well because of their moms. And then a few lambs that do really well in spite of their moms after you wean them. <laughs> so um, yeah, that sort of thing. So, um, I hope that was muted. So that brings up a um, uh, something I wanted to discuss since we're on the uh, uh, carcass uh, and we kind of touched on, um, you kind of touched on back as a kid uh, with some doing some Suffolk feeding or something that I, 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 my, my internet was going in and out. So I may have missed some of that, but did y'all see the, uh, and, I, and I don't know why, I guess I just, with a post office deal, I just got the, uh, the Virginia tech sale catalog and the sale was last weekend. So I, I didn't get, I, I seen the results and I'm like, when was the sale? Well, I got the catalog this week. And, uh, you know, if, if you look at the weight gains and some of the performance measures, the, the Katahdin was right there with everybody. Uh, there wasn't but one breeder. Oh, and I think there was four or five sheep involved, but, um, uh, from, from some of the gains and everything that I looked at, uh, he was right there with, with all the uh, Dorsets and the Dorpers and what else was there? Maybe some Suffolk's, but we were, we were still lacking on the loin. So the, so the steels, so that would have been at the steels tavern. So make sure yes, that, yes. that make sure. Yeah, that not, it wasn't a parasite test. No. Yeah. So steels tavern. And, and I, um, yes. Totally full choice feed. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're getting four and a half, five percent of body weight a day. Uh, so as far as you know, so you, you pointed out that the Katahdins were growing fine compared to the others. Um, you know the, you know the top the top suffix, the top suffix are going to grow better than Katahdins, and maybe they weren't at this particular test. You know the really top frames well up. you know it's the it's the conversation uh i had one time with doc kennedy when he was complaining about uh nsip guys saying that 
you know, how can you say you're in the top 1% of the breed when, when there was only, you know, a couple hundred in there? And I, and I said, well, how can you be the reserve champion at the North American when there's only two Rams in the class? It's the same deal. And in this feed test that over Virginia, you're only competing with what's there. So it don't matter if the best – you don't know if the best were there or the worst were there. It's and just it, the ones that are there, right? It, 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 it's well documented that, you know, the suffix are the fastest growing sheep, you know, at, you know in, in the world. In the U.S. Absolutely. Suffix, yeah, it's, it's well documented. Then some research at USDA, you know, research center that the – Texel is just as efficient, it just does it slower. Hmm. So it takes the same amount of feed to put a pound of meat on a Texel as it does on a on a on a Suffolk. Uh, but it, it just does a little bit slower and it'll probably finish at a lower finishing weight. Uh, yes. Yeah. So th- those you know at and meat and the USDA Meat Owl Research Center is arguably the, the best meat research center in the world. In, in most mm-hmm. er, in most areas, you know, and not saying that every research project is top is better than others, but it, they've done pretty well. So that's pretty much there. That was episode twenty-five uh, with Dr. Jim Morgan. If any of you guys have ever called in the KHSI office over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, uh, and and had any conversation with Jim, you for sure have got the same enthusiasm. Uh, that that he still has today um, with EBVs, uh, selling meat, cooking meat, um, and just the Katahdin breed in general. So uh, that that's a takeaway from this episode. And uh, man, look forward to the next one because we got another maybe two coming up. Catch you later. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you, and see you later.